The purpose of the voice of Islam is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform and relate to the needs of every era and every person. The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs each week, 24 hours a day. Tune into our current affairs programs such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate and dialogue. Find out about faith in the current age with Science Hour and Around the Table. Welcome back to the Science Show here on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. كلمتان حبيبتان إلى الرحمن خفيفتان على اللسان ثقيلتان في الميزان سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله العظيم There are two expressions which are very dear to Allah the Gracious. They are light on the tongue, easy to say, but are much heavy in the scales of Allah. These are Exalted is Allah with all his glory. Exalted is Allah with all his majesty. Voice of Islam Radio. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all and welcome to the Drive Time Show on Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to myself, Salman, and our brother Safir, and we will be with you, God willing, for the next roughly two hours. Safir, how are we doing today? Yeah, good. Uh, Jazakallah, Salman. It's good to be back in studio after some time. Um, cold is kicking in now. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but uh, luckily, our studio is nice and warm. So, but be uh, for you, for yourself, someone from who's from Norway, uh, the cold shouldn't be too bad here, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the last time I used to live in Norway was what well, was before two thousand six. So I'm now a British <laughs> <laughs> citizen, and my body has adjusted to the rain and the climate here. Can we really ever adjust to the rain here? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we're actually Pakistani, so anywhere we are, we will feel cold. We will feel cold everywhere, isn't it? Um, so we are 
as always going to be discussing two topics today two very interesting topics and uh, something our listeners will obviously enjoy and we will obviously try to delve into into the details and we will try to give an islamic point of view and perspective mm. to whatever we discuss in the first hour we are talking about uh, cashless society um, is it leaving the vulnerable behind uh, is, 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 is a question that we are raising today please do feel free to give us a call on 0208-687-7878 that is 0208-687-7878 and you can also find us on our socials at Voice of Islam UK let us know what you think about this in the second hour Another very interesting topic in regards to anti-Semitism and uh, the Islamic uh, Jihad, uh, which is obviously a, a topic that has been in the news again lately. But going into the first uh, topic, uh, which is the cashless society. Mm. So we all know as everything around us becomes more and more digitalized. We are witnessing a sort of fundamental shift, really, in how money is centered in our lives. Um, credit cards and online banking has been around for many years, but post-COVID, I'd say, um, it is now becoming the norm for outlets to become cashless. Mm. Uh, we really explore this cultural shift and consider how we are globally impacted, uh, as well as socially and uh, economically, right? So should we embrace a cashless society? Can we? Can everyone really go cashless? Is it safe in the long term? And what about the vulnerable groups in society? So these are some of the questions that we are asking today. And um, we will talk about this today, inshallah. Well, so you, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think we're already there, aren't we? Like it's, uh, how, how often is it that you keep cash on you? Uh, nowadays, uh, you might have a lot of cash in your pocket, I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> I don't, we normally don't keep cash that much. Like, yeah, you would have a little bit of cash just in case. Absolutely. Your, your, your car doesn't work. It can happen sometimes that your card wouldn't work for some reason. But I think nowadays it's just, it, it's, it's crazy though, because first, like, you have contactless cards and you're just doing the payment uh, via card. And then you have your phone mm-hmm. where you can mm-hmm. just Apple Pay or Google yeah. Pay. Or, yeah. Yeah. And even your watch, you can just pay with it yeah. now. So what's next? I mean, probably your your wrist or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, It's just moving towards that society and that uh, technology that um, cash will no longer be be around. But I think, yeah, sure. Sorry, go ahead. I think in in in, in my personal experience, though, um, we. Um, sometimes I even struggle when things are difficult uh, in regards to paying cash because you see sometimes when I want to go to the local um, chippy right and I try to pay my card and they say look no uh, we want to take cash (laughs) and then I have to walk down the road and find an ATM and then take out cash and pay them etc so yeah, definitely becomes an issue at times for us. But obviously the question uh, still remains, uh, are we leaving the vulnerable people behind us or not? W- what's the Islamic take on this, really? I think um, it, it's about, um, you know, the general guidance of, of uh, that I can think of right now on top of my mind, obviously, is when you read the Holy Quran, you, you come come across very early, you come across, uh, in fact, if, the net, the second surah of the Holy Quran, mm-hmm. and whatever Allah has given you, you should spend. Um, but then also in other places of the Holy Quran, we read that you know you should spend 
in a good way mm. you should spend uh uh in the way of allah you should uh, uh spend uh consciously you should you should spend for good causes meaning you should spend on your family you should not waste your money you should not you know indulge in uh, in unnecessary uh waste of money as well mm. so i think it comes down to uh what people want to spend their money on but uh, i think a very good guidance is from the holy quran that mimma razaqnahum yunfiqun that whatever we have given you you should spend however it does not mean that you just go on a spending spree and not think about the consequences the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings for allah be upon him used to say that only extend your uh your chadar your uh your garment mm. as far as you know you can, you can reach don't don't yeah. you know don't go crazy um and the prophet himself as well used to live a very simple life so i think in islam our our guidance is such that uh, we should lead simple lives we should care for the weak and uh, we should try to uh be uh have some savings as well yeah. so we can look after our families and uh, you know for uh, a rainy day or for emergencies that you are able to then uh, look after those people who have a right on you those people you are responsible for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think another important thing that we need to discuss here today is in regards to credit cards especially and then mm. obviously the, the the sort of overdrafts that, oh, yeah, that, that, that that is being offered by uh, your sort of uh, everyday um, bank accounts now it's become very easy for us to spend from what we don't actually have right and the the, the beauty of the holy quran again is that allah taala says that spend out of what we have given you so out of what you actually have in your own pocket what you own right financially speaking mm. um what what happens today is that because of all these credit cards and stuff it has become very easy for us to spend of what we actually don't have right so if someone is for instance liking a a new phone right and phones these days i mean they they don't cost anything less than a thousand pounds right mm-hmm. so he says well uh i'll just pay through my credit card and now he has to pay back let's see whatever those 250 pounds a month but what happens the month he is not able to pay back that's when the interest rates kick mm-hmm. in right mm-hmm. and now this man is struggling already and that's just one example of thousands of such instances that happen on a regular basis and and i, and I think that in in a society in in western countries where the whole economic system is based on interest based on credit really yeah. um it's it's very difficult to mm. avoid it like yeah. mortgages and things like that we talked about this here as well that sometimes you don't have a choice but i think as a muslim you should do everything in your power to avoid getting yourself into trouble absolutely and as the prophet of islam said that you know only spread your garment as far as you can spread it don't don't you know go beyond your means yeah. uh, and i think it's all comes down to the perception like people uh, often think and it's often advertised as well that, oh you should get this you should get this you know don't worry get a car you don't have to pay now you can pay in 2 uh, years time yeah but uh, islamically uh, we always thought that think what you can afford be mm-hmm. realistic mm-hmm. and uh l- try to live a little bit of simple life and maybe one day you will be able to afford it and when you have the money you can go for it right yeah. but yeah. these things are important as well to keep in mind that the prophet himself led a simple life mm-hmm. and that's how a muslim also 
should try to do uh, to live within their means. Absolutely. And when it comes to such things as loans, right? I think Islam has the most beautiful teaching there. So you are not allowed to charge interest on loan, mm. but at the same time in a hadith in a narration of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It also states that when giving back a loan try to give something from yourself mm. as a as a as a thank you or as a gift so let's just say for argument's sake uh, someone borrowed 500 pounds from someone right um but when giving back if he's able to give 550 you see he should do that so that will be a goodwill gesture from his side but he's not forced to do it right so the the person that loaned that money um has made some sort of profit on it not not in a sense of the word profit but really got something back for it mm. and the person that was helped out previously um uh, could give something back as a as a goodwill gesture and they didn't feel burdened by it so that's the whole concept that Islam yeah. brings you that we do have that exchange but it just stays very uh, amicable mm. it's it stays very civil and no one is sort of pressurized by yeah. that like even to this point that uh, there's an example of the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him that when he uh, was leaving mecca after a long period of persecution yeah he was leaving mecca uh, just imagine you know his life is is under threat basically mm-hmm. they want to kill him yeah. right yeah. just because of his beliefs they want yeah. to kill every muslim they can get hand on right yeah and when he leaves mecca he designates his um uh his relative hazrat ali hmm. to sleep in his bed yeah and tells him that make sure because i have to leave in a hurry make sure that you give back all the things that people have given me to take care of like hmm. you could call it yeah. loans you can call it trusts yeah. things that at that time you know physical things was there and people non believers uh, had given prophet muhammad peace and blessings for allah be upon him because they regarded him as a very truthful trustworthy person mm-hmm. the most trustworthy so they gave him things and he said to um hazrat ali that make sure that you give back those things return those things and then come back Yeah. So this is the level of trustworthiness that Islam teaches. Similarly another time when uh the prophet was sitting and this was I think in Medina, correct me if I'm wrong. Um a person came up to the prophet and 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 held him from his uh from his shirt mm-hmm. saying that you need to you owe me this, give it mm. back to me now. Yeah. And the prophet had you know borrowed or loaned uh the, the items yeah and it was not time to give it back but mm. he came to demand it even yeah. before time yeah and the companions you know the the friends who were sitting around they became angry and they tried to stop the man mm. but the prophet said no 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 that's not stop him it's mm. his thing yeah. and if maybe he needs it before time i will give it to him mm. and he gave back to the person whatever belongings he had borrowed the prophet and he gave him more in return as well absolutely and that is how islam tells us that we should be dealing with cash and uh, financially within a society and we will now be speaking with our first guest caller who which is alan sodi uh, representative of fsb a global body that oversees and makes recommendations about the international financial system alan thank you very much for being with us with us and welcome to the drive time show Hello, thank you very much. Um so what I would like to ask you to begin with Alan is um, how does the FSB view the transition to a cashless society in terms of uh, financial stability? 
Well, I, I come at this looking at it from the perspective of our uh, members of the Federation of Small Businesses who do face challenges as there are increasing digital payments, particularly retailers and consumer-facing businesses. And it's true that over the last few years, of course, uh, there has been a significant increase in the number of transactions that are digital, that are card payments and online and, and so on. Having said that, there is the question of, is that inevitable? Uh, that we end up in a, a cashless society because actually still one in four high street retailers in the UK say that cash remains their, their number one payment method of choice among, among customers. As many people, it, it is a preference and that can be even from a, a choice perspective, whether that's a business choosing, having a variety of, of payment options or a consumer having a variety of payment options. And in terms of, of stability, it can also impact the, the, the financial stability of the business if we end up in a situation where the fees that have to be paid by the business for payment uh, card transactions, but other forms of digital transactions as well, without cash, then you haven't got a, uh, a competitor to digital payment systems. And therefore, there is the risk that without intervention, then the, the fees, in other words, how much it costs a business to accept payment could actually go up and that potentially puts uh, uh, more financial pressure on an individual business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what measures is the FSB then considering to address um, potential risks associated with the cashless society? Well, there are risks, there's a number of risks with a cashless society, and that's why we think that actually, um, from a small business perspective, it is much preferable for it not to be a cashless society, and it's not an inevitability, because you do end up with less choice in terms of what is in the payment mix. There are risks, of course, associated with, with cybercrime, and so as, as we've seen in the last few years, the number of digital payments going up, so too have been the incidences of, of cybercrime. And there's also a risk of, of some people being left behind by this, whether from a, a, a technology perspective, or also the, a lot of people on uh, smaller, tighter budgets prefer to use cash because it's easier for budgeting. It's much easier to keep on top of how much money you do have to spend on, on, on day-to-day things if it's actual physical cash compared to if you're tapping a card or doing some other kind of digital transaction. Mm. And I think that's a really important point, isn't it? Because now that um, you know inflation uh, is, is increasing, people are more and more struggling financially um you know moving away from cash altogether might not be a good thing because uh, there are people literally living paycheck to paycheck and for them to manage their finances is going to be very difficult i think that's true and i think you can you can see it when you're out and about and in shops and cafes and so on that there are still a lot of people do pay in cash and that can be in many cases part of the reason and that's why it's also important to um yeah this is all about choice but in order to have the choice you've got to have the infrastructure in place to make sure that 
cash remains viable. And in recent years, the number of bank branches on high streets and in town centres has has come down a lot. There have been an awful lot of closures, which can make it less convenient, more difficult for a business accepting cash to then bank that at the end of the day. And at the Federation of Small Businesses, what we would like to see is looking at things like banking hubs, where you might have more than one bank sharing premises, or perhaps it could be done through the post office to expand banking services there, but where even if you don't bank with the post office, you bank with some other bank, then you could still use the services there. And also for consumers still to be able to get actual cash in terms of cash points some other way of withdrawing cash on the highest street. It's important to keep that infrastructure in place. And also, if the, the more uh, the raise cash, the more it goes digital. But there's also very, very practical things, particularly in some rural areas for, for businesses where broadband isn't all that great. And if it's running slow or it, it, it's, you know, it's stuttering, then that makes it much harder to take a payment than simply taking the cash. Mm-hmm. Um, see, uh, another thing that uh, comes to mind when we s- talk about a cashless society is the is the privacy of the consumer. Um, what steps is the FSB taking to protect uh, consumer privacy in the context of these widespread digital transactions? Well, this is a really big picture i think and not just for individual businesses but actually for, for all of us and for society in terms of our digital footprints and of course if you use cash then it gives you a far greater degree of privacy than if you're using more digital payments and and as digital payment becomes more common then that is something that needs to be considered and that's why also it's important still to have cash as part of the mix so that from a, a consumer perspective as well people have that choice as to whether they want their to have a digital footprint or not with things that they buy in the shops or, or which cafe they that they go in at lunchtime and i, I think also then it also brings us back to measures that, that we needed to guard against cybercrime in, into the, the, the future as well and to keep safe any personal data that there is. Now obviously there are things like GDPR, there are regulations in place to govern that but if you got to a cashless society that would become all the more important but again that's why ideally there, there remains a mix of payment options not just digital. Mm. Right. So are there um, any plans in place to address potential disruptions to the financial markets during the transition to a cashless society? Well, you know, this in a sense brings us to a pretty big picture question, because in the past, if you, you know, going back historically, central banks and governments could, to a degree, control the value of the currency because they had control over how many banknotes and coins that they printed. In a cashless society, there is any question of whether alternative currencies could develop. Now, we've seen that to a small extent with something like Bitcoin, for example. But into the future, there are, there are big questions that actually, and not really for individual businesses, but this is for big picture stuff for, for governments, for central banks around the world to consider or how economies actually deal with that and how they stay functioning and, and, and how that protects the, the value of a currency. Um, but then also on the ground, if we want to keep that cash in the mix, 
which in my view we do, then it comes back down as well to those simple things, as well as the big picture stuff of the smaller, more granular stuff, like improving the broadband, like making sure that there's still accessible banking facilities, that, that access to cash on high streets and in town centres is still available. So that ultimately, actually, we don't face the challenge of a completely cashless society because we've put infrastructure in place and we've made sure that people have the choice and it's still part of the mix, which on the figures, it should still be long into the future given that billions of transactions a year are still in cash. It is not there yet and we are not not close to a cashless society yet. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously something that will take many, many years if uh, we were to go obviously to a cashless society um what's what's your sort of um, idea how how long it would take if we really wanted to go completely cashless well i'm not sure that we do and i'm sure that the the but and of course that choice there's businesses that already have chosen not no longer to accept cash because that's what works in their business but i think there is still a strong appetite from a business perspective or from a consumer perspective for cash still to exist. And, and that's right in a society where we, we, we value choices as individuals and as businesses, as consumers, uh, and therefore it, 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 it's not inevitable that we reach a point in society being completely cashless. Now, in reality, yes, in recent years, we have seen quite a, a significant increase, quite a, 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 a fast a fastening of the pace, if you like, and the pandemic played a, a part in this in terms of moving away from cash towards digital payments. But where you look at that, the, the figures that show that 25% of high street firms still say that cash is the number one payment method in their business, that's still an awful lot of cash being used and an awful lot of people wanting to use it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Alan, thank you very much for, for, for being with us and sharing with us these um, this, this information and um, let's just hope that we as as uh, humanity can make the best decisions going forward. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, so this was um, our first guest caller, mm. um, Alan Sodi, who was a representative of the FSB. FSB stands for the Federation of Small Businesses. It is, uh, you know, it's kind of predicted by a few people that by 2040, we the whole society might be cashless. Twenty forty. That's not too far away. That's, that's not too far away. But if you look at it, like how quickly the technologies are, you know, mm. improving. Um, how even like you know, how quickly, for example, old banknotes right mm. get expired. You can't use them anymore, right? Mm. So what? Well, I hope it doesn't happen like this. That <laughs> you know, that cash altogether just. Say that oh you away. need to you need to bank it in by this by this date or by this year uh, after that you won't be able to use it so that would not be great for for people who are used to using cash and I think that's something that we can again agree on that how often isn't it that we look back at our bank statement right after the end of month and you see oh wow where did the money go and you see you know on your statement that you touched your phone there you, you did some contactless yeah. payment here, yeah. here, here. Yeah. Yeah. and suddenly you are you know you're, you're talking about hundreds um, and a lot of money just you're not knowing because you don't really realize uh, how easy it is to spend money 
But if you have cash in your wallet, mm. and I've tried this many times before, if you have cash in the in your wallet, you feel the weight. You know yeah. how much money you yeah. have, um, and 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 when your cash is disappearing, you become more careful about spending money. Mm. But that can probably not be said about cashless society unless somebody's on their mobile banking all the time seeing what they're spending and all that now you're right absolutely and i mean uh, i i have tried uh, the the same thing and i can really vouch for that, that online payments have just become so so easy mm. i mean some of the apps talk about uh, amazon for example right now your your details are saved two clicks that's all um, you, you you put the item in the basket yeah. and then you give it a one okay and that is it that's it yeah. I mean back in the days you would still sort of need to uh, type in your card details and the uh, 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 expiry date of the card and then the, the three digits at the back and then I mean you, you still have sort of time to think about the transaction and the companies purposefully make it that easy yep. so people can spend their money yep Yep. and they can get rich <laughs> and that's really something and, and you're right I mean the cashless uh, can can be difficult yeah and then there obviously are uh, some some more sort of conspiracy theories in in, in being controlled this is yeah exactly <laughs> yeah being, being well there, there's there's a lot of uh, you know views on that um, uh, you know when you have your phone and you just just look at it like you know if if you went to a shop to buy a drink or a cup of coffee uh, and then you go to um, say you go to to shopping mm. to get some clothes uh, and then you go home mm. uh, every everything is tracked yeah. you are tracked yes you use google maps you yes. use other maps yes you are you your location your digital footprint is everywhere so it's very difficult to avoid that mm. um, and you know, uh, we we shouldn't really be going into conspiracies, but yeah. the fact is that we are exposed to every tracking possible. You know, like even with websites as well, you you have cookies and and uh, uh, and and you do have to be mindful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For example, like here on on Apple, you can when you go into a website, actually the the laptop tells me that uh, uh, you know. It prevented you it prevented two hundred sites from tracking, mm, mm, right, mm, for advertisement mm. and things like that. Yeah. So, same thing is with with phone as well. And now, <clears throat> another very interesting thing is that in Sweden, now this is the next step, right? And this is already happening. Yeah. In Sweden, about four thousand people are trialing uh, a, a wrist chip, a chip microchip that okay. goes into your wrist. It's the size of uh, a rice grain. Okay. So it's inserted in your chi- in, in your in your wrist, mm. and basically it's your payment. All your uh, so if you're going to the gym, you can just put your wrist oh, there. Really? It's all digital identity is all there. Okay. You pay with your wrist. You pay um, just swiping your your wrist. You can share information, your social media details. Everything, yeah, yeah. This is wow. this is being done in uh, Sweden. I just looked it up, and um, about four thousand people are trialing this. What's wrong with you, Scandinavians? <laughs> <laughs> Hundred eighty dollars. It cost as well. Okay. It costs. Okay. Being put into your uh, system, mm-hmm. but exactly, it shows. I mean, would you be comfortable with that? No, uh, no never, not man. At all. Not at all. 
But then again, I mean, if if such things are becoming the norm, what's what's to say that our future uh, generations will just not grow up and find these things so normal that they did, they did like everyone will have sort of have a, like a chip in their arm. Yeah, or children might be thinking you're old. Old, uh, yes. You're an old person, yeah, you know, yeah. talking about phones and this and that. Yeah, this yeah. could be all there. But I, I personally think that, you know, if it's something going into your body, mm. right? That's too much. It's too much, man. Yeah. That's like the limit for me, you know? <laughs> That's, okay, a watch, you can still take it off if you decide yeah. to, right? Yeah. But a chip in there, yeah. it's... Then you're definitely being, I mean, yeah. being tracked can again be seen as a positive as well. Yeah. Right. Because obviously, um, the 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 amount of crimes you can avoid and the the amount of things that you can sort of look after. But then again, I mean, everyone has their sort of privacy that they 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 should be allowed to keep to 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 some extent. Yeah. At least, right. Oh, well, I can think of positive thing like if somebody goes missing, you be able to find that person. Yep. Yep. But then on the same side, you it could be used. Uh, it could be scams. We already know so many scams on yes. phones. Yes. Like yes. Uh, just imagine if you shake somebody's hand. And the person has a scamming program or whatever. He, all your information is just transferred on, in in the moment of the shaking of the I hand. I mean, even with um, our cards, uh, there there was news about people just going around with, with some sort of gadget Machi- machines. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that can sort of take sort of uh, can take out money from your card and just you see take it away. There was something on the tube as well, wasn't it? Like a few years back. Yeah, something some like that. Some people going yeah. around with a small machine and just tapping everybody. Now, and and this happened in the. Uh, Croydon um, shopping center as well. Now, this is not able, uh, as in th- this, this is not uh, sort of doable if you have cash on you, mm. right? N- n- unless someone physically takes out the cash from your pocket, they, they, they can't steal from you. But obviously, with, with all this um, technology coming in, there ha- must be some sort of uh, safety measures as well. I think another important thing is also when we look at um, the elderly. Those that are not savvy with technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if I talk about my parents or maybe grandparents, right? They'd struggle with um, like a cashless society. I mean, for for them, they'd be dependent on on someone at at all times. So that's also something that uh, we potentially need to look uh, need to look into, right? Yeah. And why would people then? Those people who are using cash, they shouldn't mm. be looked down upon. Right, no, not at all. Because what's wrong with that? That's also money. I remember, like, once I went to post office and uh, there was a, a a guy who was who came with like a lot of coins. Okay. And people were annoyed. Yeah. Even the even the workers there were annoyed that mm. why has he come with so many coins mm. that he needs to bank that money? Well, his his money, whoever, however he saved it up. Yeah. Why would you be annoyed at an old person coming with coins? Yeah, exactly. That you have to do exactly. a little bit extra work counting it. Mm. Mm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that that's, that that is um, sort of difficult. But then, when we look at the teachings of Islam and we look mm. at the what the Holy Prophet the may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has taught us it's it's always been about catering um, with for all aspects of society and catering for everyone there is within uh, your sort of um, authority so when it comes to decision making mm. it's always important to keep in mind that we have people that are able to um, pay by card or by other means uh, cashless 
and then we have people that are going to be relying on cash so we have to make decisions accordingly let's uh, speak about this with our next guest caller a very very well known voice on the west of islam brother kayum assalamu alaikum may the peace and blessings of allah be upon you how are you doing today wa alaikum assalam peace be on you too brother thank you all praise long so allah thank you for asking interesting topic you guys are discussing so i thought give a call and then give my two pennies worth in cash this is this is your <laughs> this is your favorite topic you this is your favorite topic it is my favorite topic <laughs> you, you know it but it's a very serious yeah. topic as well yeah, yeah. yes you, yes in in today's day and age everyone is vulnerable it's not just the elderly with with digital um money coming in what people don't realize is that everyone is going to be vulnerable because everything is um password related everything is um kind of controlled or becoming controlled by the banks by 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 the government or by corporations who we don't even know are able to tap into our finances um mm. there, there needs to be um there needs to be education from uh, from a very young age part and parcel of schooling um part and parcel of life skills financial skills is something that is missing from schools and even from our youngsters um and and that needs to be that needs to become a norm in our education system hmm on the on the flip side do you, do you think it's important to educate the elderly as well when it comes to these this definitely, this new definitely look islam from my understanding of it islam uh, has taught us to embrace progression mm-hmm. um and this is progression however with progression where there's a there's always a flip side and you have to uh, be aware and awareness is something that should be there in everything we do so this is no different um you know it's uh, we need to be aware that we still have choices so you know i'm old enough to remember when there was no contactless nonsense right but what you can do is you can call your bank and say give me a card which doesn't have contactless oh you can because do that if you have you can do that okay again so so call your because remember if before you had a card you had cash in your hand mm. and you didn't you thought twice before spending it whereas nowadays you have a card and you just tap and nobody actually does a reconciliation at the end of the month to see how much they've spent mm. whereas if you were to actually mm. if you were to sit down and do a reconciliation to say look let me see how much i've spent on just contactless you will be surprised because if you had cash instead of a card you probably would have wouldn't have spent 50% at least of that money mm. true Can you go to your bank and say I want all my cash? Cuz you can. It's your money. But they will ask what, what do you want to do with it? It's Where my money. I can take whatever I want. No, but there's again regulation. They will say, well, they will ask you questions like, well, who's asked you for it? Hmm. Where do you want to spend it? Where are you going to put it? Hmm. You can't keep cash at home. Yeah. Well, there's there's a limit to what you can do what you can keep at home. Mhm. So so again with with progression is something that is not oh we're not going to do it you're going to have to embrace it hence why education in school um and financial discipline there is a discipline that comes with this that is very important that people um people need to learn 
Mm. So it's not just the elderly, it's anyone who has um, th- these these new, um, you know, you guys were talking about Google Pay and, and, and Brother Safir, you were just talking about, you know, having a chip planted into your wrist. Mm. Uh, in Sweden, it's become kind of a norm that, that you don't even need a device, mm. you just have a chip um, in- installed into your wrist. So th- this progression is coming, whether we like it or not. So it's a question of, it's also about knowing who's vulnerable within our families and within our circles, yeah. within our communities. And, and, and awareness campaigns and classes need to be organized and to make people aware that, look, this is happening and this is something we will have to learn to deal with on our daily lives. Mm. Yeah. It, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's important that it, it's done. Mm. Yep, yep. No, I, I, I agree. Education is so important in this aspect as well. Um, uh, what would we uh, say as, uh, uh, you know, as, as Muslims, uh, we're, we're always told to, you know, or, or our teaching is such that encourages us to spend, but spend within our means. We live in societies yep. where uh, credit is uh, is is uh, not only available, but it's, it's encouraged in advertisements and things like that. What's your uh, view on that? Well, look, we, we live in an economy mm. which is based on credit. Right. And I would say, look, it's it's again, it's about learning how to control your finances we do live in a we, we live in a very materialistic society we live in a society where even if you were to buy online something which is worth 10 pound they will give you options in how to make that payment over 10 weeks yep. and say well you only have to pay 10 pence a day or five pence a day or one pound a week because that's how you get stuck and the beauty of Islam is it teaches us discipline and we need to adhere to that discipline and we, we also need to realize look if we think that these corporations are out there looking for our benefit and they're making it easier for us to make these things um, possible for us to, to, to buy that mindset needs to change and this needs to be become part and parcel of parenting Hmm. Parenting isn't just about oh uh, what you do at home, but it's about gearing you, uh, gearing you up to how you're going to live outside and what principles and what discipline you will need to survive in the outside world. Because one thing credit cards will not tell you is that you have to pay this back hmm. eventually, or if you don't, you will be in trouble. Hmm. And and. Most people don't think that. Yeah. And um, and the job is the job is the bank's job is to 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 offer you money to increase business. Even banking is a business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have to remember that. Yeah. Mm. On interest. Exactly. Yeah. Um, brother Q, you see, back in the day, as in, this is sort of my personal opinion, but I think you would probably agree with this, that children back in the days was more aware of the financial situation of of what was going around at home and That's right. they then consequently then developed this sort of 
management skill of, of how to go about with finances. That seems to lack these days, right? It does, um, heavily. So because parents are not communicating with their children. Hmm, our hmm. parents communicated with us in a way we saw what our parents were doing. We saw the struggles. Yeah. But then our parents spoke to us about struggles. We tend to, we tend to what we do is we don't talk to our children about struggles. Yeah. We don't let them know that, look, we find it difficult to say to them, look, we can't have it this month. Hmm. And mm. and we need to break that cycle. Yeah, kids will only understand what sacrifice is once they see what it means to make a sacrifice. Mm. And mm. that isn't happening, which is why I'm saying it is. You know, people's um, needs have a, a bit, what's the word? I mean, it's something we our wants have become our needs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the problem lies. Whereas, you know, if I was to look at my age, I'm I'm a dinosaur already. But if, if I when I sit down, in fact, I was yesterday talking to a, talking to my dad about it, and my dad was telling us, you know, in in sixty years ago, you know, the, the, it, it was a question of you were part and parcel of um, running the household. Yes. Not financially, but in tasks. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. Because the parent of today is thinking, oh, I'm not going to burden my child. You're not burdening your child. You're teaching your child. Mm. Yeah. We, 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 we take away, um, we're actually harming our children by not, um, by not giving them tasks in the house. Mm. True. True. And, and again, there needs to be a, a shift um, in, in the way things get done. Again, no. it's a personal opinion, no. but but I see I see it happening. Yes, yes. I think also with the with the rise of social media, where um, all of these sort of expensive items are just being uh, promoted twenty four seven, and uh, as you were saying earlier, that uh, it, it everything seems to be very approachable and 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 uh, it, 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 they just make it look like that you could be the owner of such and such item within the next yep. 24 hours and that obviously is leading the the, the kids and the youth astray as well and it just be becomes uh, that more important for parents to be very transparent with, with their kids and well you would have thought that we're going through a cost of living crisis hmm. it it would teach us something. And I find it bizarre sometimes that we've done so many programs, even on Voice of Islam, where people come and they talk about that it's it's a struggle, which it is a struggle out there, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when you're in a struggle, you look to make compromises. Yeah. But what people do is they compromise on the quality of their food, mm. but they won't compromise on the quality of their trainer, on their baseball cap, on their garments, on the on the on the label that they will buy yeah. mm -hmm. but they were willing to compromise on the quality of the food and the quality of their living but then people forget that hold on if you work hard then the, the best thing to do is to have the best food to eat not the best label to buy the, the blessing is in the food you eat so you should eat the best food mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong in that 
Mm. But but people tend to find people tend to co- compromise on on things which shouldn't be compromised on, and and they they would uh, you know have a shock if if they were told to well you can't buy this. Mm. Mm. And again, and, we live in a society. But all of you guys are parents. We live in a society where patience has disappeared, and it's a it's a society of well, I want it and I want it now. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so parenting, so parenting mm. is very, very important. Yeah. Mm. And uh, thank you for mentioning that point, Kiyum, uh, because I think that's where Islam comes in, and that's yeah. the solution, isn't it? About yeah. living a that's simple 100%. life and being mindful mm. of uh, what you're spending uh, that's a reminder that and, we and find you know really simple doesn't simple doesn't mean um, oh you you have to to live on less yes. no simple means you can have everything but it doesn't need to be you know uh, uh, you know the most expensive mm. or all at once yeah in you know i was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently who bought uh, a jacket for like 2000 pounds and then and i said to him i said look at the tag yeah and he looked at the tag and it said made in india and i said <laughs> i said i said i said look you, this probably cost 10 quid to to make yep but you put a label on it and it's suddenly gone you know astronomical realistic unrealistic pricing yeah and and that's part and parcel of the education that i'm talking about yeah Thank you very much brother Kayum always uh, great to have you on and uh, thank you for you having made, uh, giving me the time brother yeah you made some very good points thank you so much thank you have a good day gentlemen assalamu alaikum peace be upon you i think it's uh, it's again something that we uh, talked about and i think comes back to the the mentality yeah and uh, your uh, view of of life as well um, again islam tells us that you'd look at life as a temporary yeah. abode mm-hmm. you know so uh, it's about putting your needs in front of your wants basically yeah. Yeah. and if you look at the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him it wasn't like that he hadn't he had wealth yeah. he had lots of wealth coming mm-hmm. his way mm-hmm. but he didn't love wealth mm-hmm. he gave it away to people who who needed it the most and i think that's really important that islam gives you this freedom i would say mm. f- of 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 not loving wealth yeah. it gives you freedom and i think yeah. that's why islam is a religion when you're muslim and you really understand that you, what your purpose of life is you will not be a slave to mm. the system but because yeah. you see the problem with interest and the reason why islam has forbidden allah has forbidden interest is because it it is unjust you know yes. and it's it makes the poor poorer and the wealthy even more wealthier so it's yep. more and more you know gap between the rich and poor that's exactly what we see in the world today yep. where it, the economic systems are dominated by interest mm. because it's not fair Absolutely. and when you don't have a fair system in place then you have injustice then you have conflicts then you have wars then you have unrest lack of peace so yeah. it all comes together and i think um you know we were so lucky that we are muslims and we have the example of the holy prophet and the teaching of the holy quran in front of us absolutely. to keep us grounded and to keep us on the right track absolutely you see when your moral values are shaped of what the society today is telling you mm. 
um, then you are going to be running after a lot of things that are, yeah. are out of your reach and then you will just do whatever it takes and that is when things become very dangerous because this is when you are likely to lose all you have just because you, you wanted to follow some sort of trend but then on the really opposite it is the word of God himself mm. that is explaining to you that look this is nothing but a temporary abode and uh, what you're gathering here or what you should be gathering here rather is actually good deeds charitable work um, behave yourself be a, be a good human being um, give the due rights to the creator as well as the creation mm. and that's the sort of wealth you're looking at that's the sort of um, loans you should be taking mm. and the sort of interest you you, yes. you should be charging and Islam in, in in a beautiful way does use the interest system and Allah Ta'ala says that if you do a good deed I'm gonna give back to you manifold mm. right so that's the sort of exchange we actually should be making yeah. instead of, of 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 going towards this whole system of, of credit greed cards and, yes, and greed yeah. and and greed has never brought any good to anyone nope, it hasn't that's, so, what, that's what we see the problem in the world's uh, world today is is primarily because of that yeah. And I think one aspect which uh, we talked about that people will be left behind, uh, you know, countries w- where infrastructure is not that good, they cannot embrace cashless society. I'll give you one example. For example, if you have at one point bad connection, you know, coverage, mobile coverage. Yes. For example, I remember a few years ago, I went uh, to a town and uh, I wanted to park somewhere. So you have to, you know, these parking machines. You know, many of them don't accept cash anymore, any coins. You have to download an app and you have to pay through the app. Mm. And I wasn't getting any reception. Maybe there was something wrong with my phone. Maybe there was something wrong with the reception. And that's a problem there, right? Yeah. I was standing there trying to pay for my parking, but I couldn't. Mm. Mm. So that, again, begs the question that what if you don't have a connection? How are you going to use your payment method if you don't have cash? Yes. And if yes. you have cash but the machine doesn't accept cash, then again, you know, it left leaves some room for uh, for, for error. And we've already talked about cybersecurity, we've mm. talked about issues mm. like that. So it has advantages, lots of advantage, convenience, but then on the other side, it has also some disadvantages. I think we can all agree that um, both sort of ways should be left open mm. to the public and for at least another few decades at least, uh, because we're just not there as society. And it is also important to, if you are to enforce a transition, then you should also make sure that all potential disruptions and risks are really taken care of mm. before you actually move towards, uh, towards such a, um, I mean, a, a humongous tra- transition that will really affect I mean, within our society, don't we have people that are homeless? Mm. um, How do you expect someone like that to be having credit cards and and, and debit cards with them, right? They are really living on cash. Mm. Um, we, We should make life easier for everyone. And you should try to make a society that is established enough so that the people that come after us can build on that instead of them having to um, sort of start uh, start from ground zero just because um, 
we made mistakes in our lives. Mm. So they shouldn't be rectifying our mistakes. Rather, they, they should be building on the basis that we are laying out for them. And, and that reminds me of, of, of uh, a quote of the second caliph of the Abdiya Muslim community, Mirza Bashir Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him. And he stated that the truth is that no nation can make any progress. Nay, no nation can escape degeneration if its members do not leave behind their children in circumstances better than their own. Yeah. That, that, that really summarizes it, that we as, as uh, responsible members of society, we as parents of today, we as people in authority maybe, people that are decision makers, need to make sure that we lay a, a basis that the coming generations can build something on mm. instead of making mistakes yeah. that maybe takes humanity back another 50 years yeah. instead of going forward. Absolutely. I think one, one question I wanted to ask you just uh, quickly before we go to the news is obviously charity is very important in Islam, yes, right? Yes. And nowadays when you can just put up a standing order for charity or you can just uh, tap it. Mm. But do you get the feeling, the physical feeling of helping out somebody who needs help by by just having an online payment i i no. feel that's not the same sometimes right it, it's not it's, it's not. not and that's another thing that was explained by the second caliph of the community mirza bashir ahmed may Allah be pleased with him that uh, we should make sure that even children when when they make their payments towards charity uh, that we physically give them that money mm. they go and, yeah. and 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 i remember my my dad used to do it so every month he would give me a, a few euros that, 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 that back in Germany and we would make those donations towards charity and that would really uh, emphasize the importance of charity as well as make it a habit for you yeah right whereas I mean if anything is taken out of my bank without me knowing I I don't really yeah. notice, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And this is what we've been talking about as well, that having physical cash in your pocket is, is just a whole different thing. Mm, absolutely. Well, 0208687 is the number to call. Um, it's been a great discussion so far. Uh, we are moving towards a cashless society. Many people are predicting by 2040, it will be altogether a cashless society. Um, however, um, we have seen the advantages and we also know about disadvantages. So um, let's hope we move to the right direction. Coming up next is the news. You're listening to myself, Safir and Salmar, Salman here at Voice of Islam radio station. Join us after the news for the second topic. The Maker, the one who plans, determines, and brings into being. O oh, Maker of the heavens and the earth, thou art my protector in this world and the hereafter. <laughs> Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, 
while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. A Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif. He is unseen and illuminates the person He reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for Him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek Him and raises prophets to be their guide to Him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most for it was He who had the most perfect perception of God, and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of His perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of His servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his Ummah as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed, Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all and welcome back. 
um, to the Drive Time Show here at Voice of Islam Radio. Uh, we've been with you since 4 p.m. and in the first hour we discussed um, cashless society and uh, whether that is something we as humanity should be going towards or not. And we did discuss in great detail. So if you missed our first hour, you can always go back to our website, which is voiceofislam.co. Dot UK. That is voiceofislam.co.uk and you can always listen back to our recorded shows. In the second hour, we are discussing anti-Semitism and especially whether Islam is anti-Semitic or not. And another um, terminology that's been um, sort of thrown around recently again is the word jihad. That's another thing that we will be discussing and giving you the actual Islamic perspective on these topics and what Islam really says about this, what the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, lived his own life and how he practiced um, his uh, the, the teachings of, of the Holy Quran and how he showed us things should be done. Yeah, and I think... <clears throat> this uh, topic is very relevant now because of what is happening in the Middle East with the Israel and Palestine conflict mm-hmm. and people automatically think that you know um, it's anti-Semitism to yeah. criticize or question anything that you know Israel is doing as, yeah. a, as a country you have to remember that uh, this is you know um, it's it, it's it doesn't mean that if you criticize the action of uh, some people who call themselves Jews yeah. um, and if they're doing something that is wrong to criticize that is not anti-Semitism. I think that's something very important because a lot of, well, majority of Jewish people uh, around the world actually oppose, you know, atrocities, yes. oppose uh, yes. extreme, uh, you know, things and oppression occupation, things mm. like that. And you will have seen in the news that there are so many Jews who have protested against the, you know, the the massive uh, bombardment of, of uh, innocent people in Gaza. So I think it's very important to remember that anti-Semitism, which is often defined as um, hatred or hated rhetoric towards Jews. Yeah. Uh, is not just limited to Jews. And this is very interesting because in the Encyclopedia of Britannica, Mm -hmm. uh, the literal meaning of uh, Semite or anti-Semitism, you can say, anti-Semite, is a name given in the 19th century to a number of any people who speak one of the Semitic languages. And these are a family of languages spoken primarily in parts of Western Asia and Africa. Okay. And the term, therefore, comes to include Arabs, Akkadians, Canaanites, Hebrews, some Ethiopians, including Amhara, and Armenian uh, tribes. So there's a lot of people who used to live in the Middle East or still live in Middle East and speak specific languages, yeah. and they're all included in Semitic, um, you know, uh, category. Mm. So it doesn't have to be. Uh, just anti-Jewish, but anti all of these people really yeah. who are included. And yeah. this is this is the literal, um, you know, uh, translation of of that word. And I think it's really important because, as you mentioned, uh, Islam is a religion uh, that is 
peace. It's yeah. peace towards all people. Yes. And Islam doesn't teach you to hate any people. Mm. Islam is against uh, you know hatred towards any any people. Uh, but what Islam tells you to to reject is evil. Yeah. Is to reject uh, or, or call out what is wrong, mm. whether mm. that's within Islam, Muslims. Whether that is not within Islam, but whether within so-called Muslims, mm. or whether it's in another group of people belonging to any background, yes. if them do something wrong uh, against uh, you know uh, the teaching of God Almighty, against the peace of the world, then that is something that needs to be uh, called out. So Islam is a religion of peace, has no hate towards. Any human beings. That that reminds me of a verse of the Holy Quran where it states that you should be um, giving the um, sort of honest statements, even if you have to go against your fathers and your brothers, mm. right? So that sort of takes us a step further. So it doesn't just say that look, uh, you can go with uh, against people within your own religion. But even against your own blood relatives, right? Yeah. So speak the truth, even if you have to speak against your own fathers and your brothers. So this is what Islam teaches you, that you have to stand for the right thing. Mm-hmm. The wrong could be within uh, the Islamic people. It could be within Jewish, within Christians, or even within atheists, anyone really, mm-hmm. right? But whatever is wrong. You should be opposing, but then again, uh, what what does opposition mean? I think we will come to that yeah. in, in 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 a bit. So, I mean, as you rightly mentioned in regards to the word anti-Semitism, which has obviously evolved in its meaning over mm. many decades, um, what it initially meant is, is is what you told us, but then now it is sort of understood to be a statement or even a gesture uh, that potentially incites hatred mm. um, against the Jewish community. Other such terms, for example, for example, uh, Islamophobia. Mm. That's a, not. That's for example. That's not linked to any specific country no, or no, uh, any people. It's, it's, it's all Muslims. It's, it's, it's yes. across uh, the the board for all Muslims. Um, this term also has seen its um, genesis and evolution. Um, it's nowhere near as 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 popular or or, or uh, generally accepted mm. as the word um, anti-Semitism. But well, the, these are there. So. The question really is, is the Qur'an, the holy book of Islam, and the hadith, the narrations of the Prophet, uh, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, are they inciting hate against Jewish, uh, Jews? Or uh, if we were to ask in very simpler terms, do Allah and the holy Prophet hate Jews? And the answer is one word, and that is no. Mm. Not at all. Not at all. Right? So Allah the Almighty refers to the Jews in the Holy Quran as the Ahl uh, al-Kitab, the people of the book. Um, and it also mentions their virtue. So when we look at the Holy Quran, the Holy Quran, what the Holy Quran does is it gives us a comprehensive analysis of anything the people before us have done. And then is it teaches us that, look, this is what you should be following and these are the actions you, sh- you should be avoiding, mm. right? So if there, I mean, there were obviously good people among every uh, religious community and religion. Um, there were obviously people that, that followed the, the Prophet uh, Moses, alayhi salatu wasalam. 
uh, peace be upon him there were people uh, that followed the prophet jesus may peace be upon him so there are obviously good people within those communities so to state that islam is against a whole religious community is just outright oh, wrong this is this is out, outright categorically wrong because yeah. islam is fact in fact is the only religion that requires you as a muslim yeah. as a believer to believe in the truth of all prophets absolutely so as a muslim if i was to not believe in moses to be the prophet of god or to respect you know the mm. religion of moses his teachings scriptures and if i was to reject that nauzubillah god forbid then i am not a muslim i'm not yes. a true muslim yes so as a muslim there is no other religion mm. that that has this requirement that you have to believe like christians they don't have to believe in prophet muhammad you know no other religion really believe uh, yeah. but islam is the only religion that requires you to universally believe in all the prophets from the start till the end who are sent by god almighty that that message that uh, messenger was true and the message that he came with was true from god almighty it was a noble message and yes with the passage of time the message does get corrupt corrupted yes but um, the respect for uh, prophets and their people and their true followers mm. is uh, a paramount uh, and, and and an obligation for a muslim and if you look at the holy quran you know there is uh, a whole surah called bani israel yes a whole surah yeah. a whole surah a whole, whole chapter talking about the israelites talking about the um, uh, the prophets that came um, prophet moses is mentioned so many times in the holy quran mm. and um, allah the almighty has mentioned how he blessed uh the uh you know the jewish people throughout the history with lots of prophets yeah lots of prophets and they were blessed with the you know blessings from god almighty so there's so much that is mentioned there however yeah. it also mentions those people from among those people yeah. who went astray yeah. and who rejected the messengers and as you said in all religion in all group of people there are good people and there are bad people exactly. and the bad people are called out by allah the almighty that do not follow the path of these people who rejected yeah. the message and they rebelled but follow the those people who really followed the prophet absolutely i think you you, you mentioned the holy quran and then it comes to mind the uh, verse 70 of chapter 5 of the holy quran where allah the almighty states surely those who have believed and the jews and the sabians and the christians whoso believes in allah and the last day and does good deeds on then or on them shall come no fear nor shall they grieve hmm. i mean that is exactly what we are trying to uh, um, explain here that whoever has believed in their prophets and they have done good deeds and they have believed in the unity of allah the almighty there shall be no fear on them show me any religious book or scripture teaching that yeah comes close to to having oh no uh, uh, a universal message like this a mm. message of salvation for all people yeah yeah no no one most religion religious scriptures talk about their people yeah. that you are the chosen one you are the one who are going to be saved don't you know like it doesn't really care about other people mm. as such but islam is a religion which says as you mentioned that those people even if they are jews even if they are sabians even if they are christians but if they truly believe in god 
and in the hereafter hmm. judgment and they do good deeds they have nothing to fear yeah so this is a beautiful message and i think anybody who thinks that islam is a religion that teaches you to hate uh, one group of people or hate jews it cannot be f- far 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 from the truth as possible because islam is a religion that actually is universal yeah and <laughs> in fact you know the very people that uh, uh, that were the early muslims of arabia you know were related to the other side yes. were related yes. to Bani Israel exactly. you know they were Bani exactly. Ismail from yeah. so it's all like you know all these religions coming down to Islam is part of a family yes. part of a group that Allah the Almighty from the beginning of time have been blessing and that is exactly why you see Allah Taala uh, Allah the Almighty when he uh, addresses the prophet in the holy quran it says um, akmaltu lakum dinakum, that uh, today i have completed your religion for you right mm. when we look at islam and as you right rightly mentioned it is the only religion that really believes and respects and uh, really uh, um, um, dignifies the, the, the name of each and every prophet the, and this is why islam again is the only religion that can unite all other other religions so if all of us have a united platform if, if, if there is a common ground for us that is Islam right now how do you come to believe in Islam or how are you brought toward Islam it is not through um, wars mm. it is not through terrorism it is actually through the Word of God mm. and this is how Islam has spread because and this is also why we wanted to speak about the the, the term jihad today. Um, a very commonly uh, used allegation against Islam is that Islam was actually spread by the sword or or through violence, right? And even today, um, Islam is somewhere related, uh, uh, sort of uh, interlinked with uh, um, violence and terrorism all across the social medias and 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 and, and other uh, media outlets so this is why we wanted to discuss this today and explain that look this is not the case and i think someone who could explain this much much better than we could was uh, our our caliphs and uh, we have actually a a clip or, or a, an, an audio clip for our listeners to listen to of the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya community mr tahir ahmed where he explains the concept of Islamic Jihad and I think we should now uh, have a listen to that. But what is Jihad? This is a issue. Is it Islamic Jihad what they represent it to be to take up sword at and on the excuse of religious differences and to murder people for the crime of not agreeing with Islam? If that is jihad, then of course we do not agree with that. Because the Holy Quran doesn't agree with that either. Because Hazrat Muhammad never murdered people just because of the religious differences. People came to meet him, he lived with the Jews, with the Christians, with the idolaters throughout his life and never murdered or ordered anyone to be murdered because he did not agree with the faith in which he believed. So there is no justification whatsoever for any scholar of Islam to misinterpret Islam on the issue of jihad 
and attribute a concept of jihad to the Holy Quran and to the conduct of Hazrat Muhammad which has no relationship with them. So what is jihad? The first jihad which is mentioned in the Holy Quran is the jihad with the Quran. So the Holy Quran tell, uh, addressing Hazrat Muhammad says Jahid Jihadin Kabira. With this book, strive against them with the help of this book. The great striving. So the greatest jihad of every Muslim is to strive for the victory of Islam with whatever lies in his capacity by way of the Quranic teachings or by way of an example, beautiful example set before the people by acting upon the Quranic teaching. This is the most wonderful jihad that one can think of and this is Islamic jihad. Number two, the second jihad mentioned in the Holy Quran and also in Hadith is jihad against your own evil dispositions, your evil inclinations, etc. And to continue to wage a war against your bad self which would uh, continue to drag you to all that is satanic. And that is the jihad between light and darkness. And that jihad begins within a man individually and within a woman. By the word man I mean both man and woman. And this is a jihad in which seldom we find people genuinely and seriously involved, yet they claim at the loudest of their voices, jihad, jihad, jihad. So these are the primary two jihads which I have mentioned, which they totally ignore. The third in order comes jihad with sword. And what is that jihad? Can a fight with sword or bullets or guns be called holy? And if so, in what context? The Holy Quran is so clear on that that there is no room for any ambiguity left if you read the Quran with due care and attention and honesty, of course. I have been quoting so often the fundamental verse concerning this jihad, the third type of jihad, which can be carried out with sword. By sword I mean all weapons. And uh, this is found in a verse in Surah Al-Hajj. This is the first verse found in, Surah, in the Holy Quran which speaks of a permission to wage a war against those who, who which those I'm going to explain now. Not against those who disagree with your faith. Not against those who, having heard your message, reject it. Not at all. The words, will you, when you hear, you'll be surprised how they could be misinterpreted by anyone. Permission is granted 
to those against whom the sword is already raised. Yuqataluna, any Arab can understand the meaning, no one can fail to understand the import of this verse because simple injunction, a simple injunction expressed in simplest terms. The raising of sword, the fighting, is permitted to those against whom the swords have already been raised. First condition. Despite the fact that they have not committed any crime, they have given no cause of offense to anyone. But it is not over yet. Verily, God is, has full power to help such people when they raise sword under the permission of God. Now this is also a very significant part of this verse and also of jihad because the scenario presented to us is that of a very weak people. So weak and apparently defenseless that any Tom, Dick and Harry begins to raise sword against them and trample upon their rights despite the fact that they had not given anybody a genuine cause of offense. So the Holy Quran is so wonderful when it says we are permitting you and we take the responsibility that if you use this permission you will find God at your back. However weak you may be, when we grant permission, we are responsible that you will emerge victorious. This is exactly the promise made. To help them to victory is a small thing for Allah. He is capable of doing what whenever he so decides. But the story of their persecution still continues, runs on. He says, Allazina ukreju min dayarihim bagarihaqhim. Such innocent people against whom the atrocity, atrocities have been committed even to the extent they were, they were turned out of their homes, out of their country, out of their birthplaces. Without any right of the people who turned them out. Then the Holy Quran tells us, the only crime they committed was, they said, God is our Lord, the Provident. Allah Rabbuna. And this is the only claim they made which annoyed the opponents to degree that they started committing all sorts of cruelties against them. And they are not yet satiated, they are not satisfied. Having turned them out of their homes, they're still after them. Now this is in a sort of prophecy, in fact. It says you have come to Medina, you have been turned out of your homes, but the war is not over against you. The sword will yet be raised. And this time if they come pursuing you, we permit you to fight back. This was indeed a prophecy of what happened at Badr. And the promise of Allah was kept so beautifully. Being small in number, being weak in other respects, you know, pitched against an army of trained soldiers, the very pick of Mecca. 
who were 1,000, who were mounted, who had all sorts of equipments available at that time. And this small number of 313, who also included among them some lame people, some old people, some young boys, who had not yet reached maturity. And the promise is so positive, so clear. This time, let them come. This time, if they wage a war, we have permitted you. And we are capable of defeat, defeating them. So, God is with you, don't care. And then, the principle of jihad is mentioned. If these ulema who cry out jihad, jihad, for political ends, if they read this first, it's impossible for them to misrepresent Islam anymore. And then the principle of jihad is mentioned. If these ulema who cry out jihad, jihad, for political ends, if they read this first, it's impossible for them to misrepresent Islam anymore. The Holy Quran says, وَلَوْلَا دَفُّ اللَّهِ النَّاسَ بَعْضَهُمْ بِبَعْضًا لَحُدِّمَتْ سَوَامِهُ وَبِعَهُمْ وَسَلَوَاتُهُمْ وَمَسَاجِدُ يُذْكَرُ فِي حَسْمُ اللَّهِ كَثِيرًا If God had not permitted some to defend themselves against some others, then what would happen? لَحُدِّمَتْ سَوَامِهُ the churches and Christian places of worship will be destroyed. The places of worship of the hermits and the recluse would also be demolished and destroyed. Places of worship of the Jews will be destroyed. And then also the mosques will be destroyed where God is remembered so often. Now, have you understood the message and the magnanimity of this message? According to this, jihad is to protect the right of worship, basically. If anyone interferes with the right of worship of even a Christian, any defender of that right, if killed, will be a martyr. Because it's the right of freedom of religion, right of freedom to, of worship, so instead of mentioning the mosques in the first place, the mosques are mentioned at the end of the list. It's a fantastic thing. The magnanimity of the Holy Quran finds no equal in the world of religious scriptures. So this is the basic philosophy of Islamic jihad. Everything which should have been told about jihad has been told. If any claim of jihad, any interpretation of jihad contradicts this basic teaching and this comprehensive teaching, how can we agree with that? So that uh, was an explanation given by the fourth caliph of the Indian Muslim community, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, um, about the actual Islamic concept of jihad. And I think what he said right towards the end is that jihad is about um, safeguarding everyone really it is not everyone's just right for freedom for freedom religion. Yes, yeah. exactly and that is it and it really mentions the mosques and the Muslims right at the end mm. so it is the 
a foremost duty of every Muslim to safeguard the religious freedom of everyone, whether it's a Jew or a Christian or a Hindu or a Sikh or a Muslim, anyone really. It always comes down to the fact that everyone should be able to offer their own religious duties without any hurdles at all. I think people forget that during the time of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, peace and blessings for Allah be upon him, the Jews were living in Medina. Yep. There were Jews living, many of them who became Muslims, who accepted uh, Islam, accepted the Prophet. And those who did not even accept, they were living uh, peacefully. They have treaties. The Medina Pact or the Treaty of Medina is very well known, yeah. where there was uh, you know, specific uh, laws and agreements in place yeah. that uh, they will defend each other, they yeah. will stick as one unit, they will not allow, you know, if, if the Muslims are attacked or if the, or if the Jewish tribes are attacked, mm. they will come together and defend yep. together yep. and safeguard each other's rights. Everybody has their, will have their freedom to practice their uh, religion. They will have their freedom to, um, to live their lives. Mm. Even Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was head of, uh, of Medina. Mm. But even at that stage, Salman, the specific agreement also said yeah. that if there is any issue within the Jewish community, then they will judge according to their scriptures exactly. and books. Exactly. Yeah? yeah. So that was the level that Islam and Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah, went to in order to make them comfortable, yeah. in order to make sure that peace was prevailed and uh, that the society was will be living in harmony. So... I think people don't realize, people think that the current conflict in Palestine and Israel is a conflict between Muslims and Jews. No. It's not at all. Not at all. Not at all, because for a thousand years or so, Muslims and Jews have lived in the same mm. areas mm. peacefully together. Yes, yes. And without any issues. You know, mm. Jews and Muslims are even so close in terms of uh, you know, believes uh, the unity of God, believes yes. one and same God. Yes. Plus, you know, the Holy Quran talks about uh, you know even relationship bet between between Ahl Kitab, yes. the people of the book, and Muslims. They can marry. Yes. So there, there's so much closeness that it's it's never been an issue. The only issues that have occurred have occurred where people have violated treaties mm. where people have uh, taken away the rights of other people yeah. and here you know you could say that some so-called Muslims have mm. have gone astray from their teachings yes Jewish people who followed they also who went astray who adopted evil then they went astray from their teachings and mm. that created you know a conflict hmm. but hmm. that conflict is not because of their religious background hmm. the conflict is because of geopolitical issues exactly greed yeah. uh, injustices so these things have contributed to where we are now in the Middle East you know so it's not a Muslim Jewish is issue no. because there's no issues as such you see what we, we just were, were just saying that brought two things to my mind one is in regards to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah hmm. right so when we say that um, Islam can only be spread through violence, we, we forget the time 
during the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when there was peace amongst yep. all tribes of of of, of the uh, Arab uh, uh, Peninsula, and at that time, Islam spread the most and the quickest mm. because there was was peace and uh, the Muslims were able to preach properly and the teachings of a peaceful religion and a religion that can really unite everyone um that that, that teaching was 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 brought to to the arabs another thing you mentioned was in regards to the everyone to be treated according to their own religious beliefs mm. so th- there is this narration of uh, some people of a jewish tribe that uh, were to be uh, prosecuted because they did something wrong and uh, they decided that look we want to be uh, sort of treated according to the jewish teachings and uh, when later on they just then, then they found out that the jewish teachings actually were much stronger uh, stronger mm. and and stricter mm. in 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 comparison to what the holy quran and the prophet of allah may the peace and blessings of allah be upon uh, him w- would have given so right so in the uh society of medina when islam had uh, been spread and there was peace we can see that the christians and the jews and others of that time could live and were living yeah. in in the most comfort uh uh in the most comfort that we that really humans can really ask for yeah. right but then obviously as you say when it comes to political issues when you politicize such issues um then and religion obviously has been used as a tool for politics mm. throughout history yeah. and the 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 issue that we are seeing in the in the middle east today is one of many such issues even mm. if you go to the um, indian subcontinent and yeah. in, uh, um other parts of the world religion has always been used um for political gain and other such things yeah and i think uh, you know you mentioned the time of the holy prophet but even after that in jerusalem uh you know uh, in the time of the caliphs as well there was long standing peace yeah. and coexistence of uh, jewish uh, people and muslims in the middle east yeah. then in spain when yep. islam went to spain mm-hmm. and there the jewish people and muslim people were living side by side in peace mm-hmm. and the jewish um, people had Uh, rights they were uh, you know uh, uh, free to 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 have the same rights as as the other people living there the other muslims living there as well yeah. many times in very high positions as well so it shows you that uh, there is nothing of uh, uh, within the religion that stops uh, us from being united uh, as human beings however there are political issues that create these uh, these uh, you know conflicts and as you mentioned that politics are often used um and re- religion is often used to manipulate uh people and create hatred and i think one of the uh great uh, efforts of the ahmadiyya muslim community around the globe is how it brings people together and you know the arab uh, the ahmadiyya muslim community in israel as well in haifa uh we we have talked about the seron versus islam as well the uh special efforts were were done by the community to bring people together in the mosque mm. so for example mm. you know the the program a program special program was done where uh, the community uh, held a ta- talk uh, 
uh, with um, you know Jewish people around that we are not adversaries we are actually allies and together we can achieve success mm-hmm. and they you know they all agreed upon uh, this fact that we should uh, uh, call out what is wrong and mm. uh, you know stop uh, atrocities um, uh, stop uh, you know uh, innocent lives getting lost yeah. and we should uh, work towards peace because you know there there are more things in common than 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 not and um for example uh, in haifa uh, where this program was done uh we had uh, lots of you could actually see on social media and pictures of it that uh, the mosque was fully packed yeah. by by people mm. um uh, and and you can see the feedback from people as well uh one feedback from a jewish guest said that in my view this gathering serves as a significant testament that demonstrates to the islamic community the jewish community and the global community at large that we can engage in meaningful dialogue that brings us together hmm. we are not adversaries we are allies and together we achieve success and another guest said that this event brought a smile to my face yeah when i was in a difficult emotional state and lacked the will to even smile after hearing the address of the amir of the community i feel a profound sense of relief it was my first time meeting him and i must say that he is an exceptional individual and i wholeheartedly wish he could lead our country uh, so this is this is the beautiful example and the true islam yeah. that uh, the world needs to see you see uh, this, this this event that that took place on the 30th of october um it didn't just have muslims right mm. attending it had uh, jewish rabbis christian pastors um muslim imams druze imams and even a buddhist monk that came right attendance well over 600 people that actually came in and the message that was shared by the amir of 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 kababir uh, muhammad sharif ode he said that it is haram haram means unlawful mm. to kill civilians and innocent people this is not the right way there are other solutions without weapons muslims and jews have lived together for more than 1300 years and jews were given their rights under the muslim rule they gained an identity status and position that they never got anywhere else it was under the muslim rule that they had these rights and they were respected so we lived together in coexistence for more than 1300 years and this is exactly what we've been saying today as well that this is how uh, muslims and jews have always lived together and this is how we can live together and we will live together and we have to look uh beyond these political issues and is understand that our religions can coexist they have always coexisted and in in religious terms there are no issues yeah right again the the, the concept of 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 uh, violence and and jihad which is being being said um the fifth caliph of the ahmadiyya community hazrat mirza masrur ahmad melabi's helper he has explained very beautifully at what point muslims were actually allowed to to fight uh, physically in the way of allah and what they had to go through so uh, let's have a listen to what he had to uh, say in this regard i will try to present the true teachings of islam as they have been expounded by the founder of ahmadiyya muslim community Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad the 
whom we consider as the promised Messiah, Islam. Peace be upon him. According to his understanding of the Holy Quran, the traditions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the history of Islam. First of all, I will explain the true concept of jihad in the words of the Messiah of the time. It has been 100 years since the founder of the Ahmadiyya community passed away. Therefore, no one can say that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, having made up a fanciful reply in response to the wrong impression created in the world today, is now presenting something new. On the contrary, there are the very same teachings that are set out in the Holy Quran. The Prophet Muhammad says, the prevailing practice found amongst Muslims of attacking people of other religions and which they call jihad is not a lawful war for it is clearly against the commandment of God and the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and constitutes a grave sin. What do the words lawful jihad used by the founder of Ahmadiyya community mean? In order to understand this, we have to very briefly glance at the conditions existing in that part of Arabia where the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had proclaimed his divine mission and invited people to Islam. <clears throat> Remember, those people were illiterate and uncivilized. <clears throat> Animosities were born out of ridiculous and petty matters over which they would continue to kill each other for years. The sacred house, the Kaaba in Mecca, that Prophet Abraham, peace be upon him, had built in the name and for the worship of the one true God contained by that time no less than 360 idols for worship. The Meccans were certainly not ready to accept any god in the place of those idols. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, made his claim and invited the Arabs towards the one and only god, the intelligent amongst them, some of whom were his relatives, poor people and slaves, embraced Islam. When this movement grew, the disbelievers of Mecca increased their persecution. Cruelty reached such heights 
that the believers were made to lie on the burning sands of Arabia, while baking hot stones were placed on their chests. They were whipped. Their limbs were tied to camels, and the camels were then driven in opposite directions, rending their bodies apart. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his group of believers were banished to a valley, and an embargo was placed on them. Neither food nor water was allowed to be delivered to them. His companions used to say that they would die in any case. So why not go, go down fighting? After all, these Muslims too came from among those who were ready to kill and cause bloodshed over the most trivial of matters. But when anyone said, permit us to fight, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would say that he had not been commanded to fight, but to be patient. This patience was not due to any weakness. Indeed, history later proved that a few hundred believers managed to defeat a force of thousands. This patience was shown only because the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, had not been commanded by Allah the Almighty to fight. At last, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, allowed some oppressed ones to migrate. And then, after some time, he too migrated to, uh, to Medina. By that time, there were some inhabitants of that town who had become Muslims. On, this, on his arrival, a large number of people embraced Islam in Medina. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, entered into covenants with other tribes and faiths, and amongst them there were also Jews. He established a state in which all subjects were granted freedom. If anyone was punished for some crime, that punishment was given according to his or her own religious jurisprudence. Nevertheless, as subjects of the state, all of them held equal rights. Despite all this, the allegation leveled against the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is, is that, God forbid, he spread terror. The question is that, when it is known that the Muslims were in such a condition of helplessness and were being so cruelly oppressed, why is such an allegation being made against the Prophet and the Muslims? I have briefly mentioned the conditions which prevailed at that time. Even in such conditions, when the Muslims granted to, uh, migrated to Medina and began to live in uh, relative peace,
Here also the Makans hounded, pursued, and attacked them. The first battle is known as the Battle of Badr. At, the at that time, Muslims were in such a um, condition that they had neither resources nor equipment for battle. Whereas confronting them was a fully equipped army. These circumstances are not hidden from anyone and are recorded in history. What could those unskilled and inexperienced people have done? Some of them were only teenagers. However, when the, en uh, the enemy wanted to annihilate the Muslims, Allah the Almighty instructed them to fight back. So the following verse of the Holy Quran was revealed. And according to historians, it is the first commandment that deals with fighting. But I invite you to look at its beauty and the purpose for which the permission to fight was granted. It says, permission to fight is given to those against whom war is made because they have been wronged. And Allah indeed has the power to help them. Those who have been driven out from their homes unjustly only because they said, our Lord is Allah. And if Allah did not repel them, uh, repel some men by means of others, there would surely have been pulled down cloisters and churches and synagogues and mosques, wherein the name of Allah is oft commemorated. And Allah will surely help one who helps him. Allah is indeed powerful, mighty. Chapter 22 verses 40 to 41. So we were just listening to the current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Masurur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper. And he has uh, very beautifully uh, given us a historic perspective of when um, the physical jihad was permitted to the Muslims and what they actually had to go through. So it, it was a tough life of uh, persecution in Mecca. They weren't allowed to fight back. Um, they were driven out of um, the, the, the city of Mecca, still weren't allowed to fight back. They had to migrate, again, not allowed to fight back. But when it comes to after the migration and i've really summarized this this whole journey within a couple of mm. uh, seconds but this is 13 years worth of a journey that's 13 long years the muslims had to bear with all sorts of difficulties and persecution and only then were they allowed to fight back yeah uh, i think it's uh, it's very clear from the holy quran that Quran always, Allah the Almighty always says that try to make peace. Hmm. Try to avoid at all cost yeah. any confrontation, war, conflict, uh, clash as such. And I think this is really important because Islam is a religion of peace. It preaches peace. And we as human beings can only prosper really when there is peace 
As yes. you mentioned, the Sula Hudaybiyah, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Yeah. After that, Islam spread so quickly, mm-hmm. and it has so, uh, so uh, it's such a rapid success because there was no defensive wars that needed to be fought yes. at that time. There was a yes. treaty that no wars will happen. Yes. So, this is what we want for the world as well, isn't mm-hmm. it? That we mm-hmm. want to see peace. We want to see. Jews living in peace. We want to see Christians living in peace. We want to see Muslims living in peace. And this Absolutely. is why Islam is against hatred hmm. against all people. Islam is against anti-Semitism. Islam is against Islamophobia, against all kind of hatred towards any hum, uh, human being or community. Yeah. And um, you know, taking life of any in- individual, innocent lives, uh, is against. Uh, the teachings of Islam as well you know the Holy Quran says that if you save one life is it's like you've saved the whole mankind and if you kill one person it's like you kill the whole mankind absolutely and that really does uh, bring us to the end of today's show uh, our shows were produced uh, today was the, the first hour was produced by Kafia Bhatti and we also uh, want to thank our uh, tech staff um, that uh, they obviously obviously do a brilliant job. Majid Tahir was uh, behind the scenes doing this uh, this this great job, and uh, yes, we leave you today with the final message that there is no anti-Semitism or anti anyone in Islam within the Islamic community. You can and you will always live together in peace as we as human. Uh, deserve and as we as human should be living together. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.